There we go. It's going. We're going. We're going. We're live. We're live, guys. I want to say RIP, first and foremost, to the moon, which has been really, obviously, one of the great uh, bodies in the sky, you know, of things to look at. One of the best we've ever had. One of the biggest, or the biggest, other than the sun. And it's hard to look at the sun because it's so bright. So you could really look at the moon and have a good time. Controlled the tides. Made our day slightly longer due to its gravitation. It was a good friend. Good companion to the human race and everybody on Earth. And Earth in general. But all, must, all things must end and apparently the moon is done for. R.I.P. Bye-bye. Boy, 2020, huh? What a year. What a freaking year. Someone should unplug it and plug it back in again. Someone should take the damn cartridge out of the machine and blow on it. Someone needs to get blowing on the dang machine. Because the moon is now dead. Killed by Tumblr witches. If you'd asked me a few years ago, where do you think I'll be in 2020? I, didn't, I don't think I would be quarantined from a pandemic while the moon is being murdered by teenage witches. But you know what? That's the, that's the joy of living at the end of history. Crazy shit's happening. Crazy shit's gonna happen. nice day again it's been a run of good days here i've been enjoying it and it hasn't been hot yet i guess i should knock on wood when i say that but it's probably going to be a terrible august and september if if past experiences are any indication but for now it's nice and i'll take it i'll definitely take it if the more dead moon means a nice uh relatively mild and endurable summer in new york i'll take it fuck off moon you fucking asshole I was thinking about uh, something I said yesterday about um, about ideology and how it changes over time and how certain parts of a given political coalition like the Republican Party is determined by it and and like held by ideology in a way that makes them not necessarily uh, uh, equipped to understand the world around them that they're supposed to be influencing the, the events in. Um, but the example that popped up to me reading uh, Reaganland was that, it, and, and I had known this like vaguely, but reading it and having the details of the whole uh, debate spelled out really underlined how big a deal it was. When Jimmy Carter was negotiating a treaty, 15 year long, I mean, he was just the president when it happened. It's not like he started negotiating a treaty with Panama to return the canal to Pan Panamanian control. Uh, or hand it over to Panama, rather, since we, we, we created Panama out of northern Colombia in order to create the canal with uh, like the connivance of the French company. But anyway, it was no longer acceptable in the post-colonial world for America to control this giant stretch of the middle of this country, this tiny Ithmian country. 
And there had been years and years of agitation to get U.S. control off of the canal. And it was finally coming to a head under Carter. And there was a huge popular backlash among conservatives, led by Ronald Reagan, who had just lost the presidential nomination to Ford and was looking to run against Carter in 80 and wanted an issue. These people just went nuts about the fucking Panama Canal. When was the last time anyone thought about the Panama Canal not being in American hands? Because 2000 was the year that it actually was, uh, was handed over officially. I mean, some people get freaked out that it's going to get bought by China as part of Belt and Road or something, but you very rarely hear anybody ruining the national humiliation of turning over the canal to, to uh, Panama. That's because it's a stupid thing to care about. And there was, like I was saying, how there's these splits within parties. There was a split within the Republican Party between the people who were more internationalist in, in understanding, who understood that the Panama that the canal was essentially militarily pointless. It was too small to even move any of our really big uh, like aircraft carriers and stuff. So it couldn't even be strategically useful in the event of a war. Uh, and there was the fact that it was becoming wildly unpopular in Panama that we had that canal there, and that after Vietnam, nobody really wanted the countenance, the potential reality of sending in hundreds of thousands of troops to keep the, the canal secure as people got more and more mad at it. There was no reason to keep the canal. And guess what? Subsequent years have proven that. No one gives a shit. None of the people who did it at the time care. And that's the thing, is that at the top levels, the people who manipulated the Panama Canal issue didn't care about the canal. Ronald Reagan became president just a couple years after this treaty was signed. He didn't fucking rip it up. He didn't say we need to get the canal back, even though he had been f honking his fucking head all over the country, na gnashing his teeth. And he debated William F. Buckley about the canal. Uh, he became president, he didn't give a shit. Newt Gingrich, when he was still a college professor in Georgia, got his start in politics organizing a Keep the Canal Committee, and then that's, that's what was his springboard to run for Congress. He doesn't give a fuck about the Panama Canal. He didn't do anything when he was Speaker of the House to get the canal back. For guys like that, they understand it's an issue, it's an emotional issue presses buttons in like the 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 lump and reactionary mind the the nationalistic uh that that's that whole the whole complex of nationalistic lizard emotions the idea that we have a canal and it's being taken and it just after vietnam and the 60s and all the traumas uh and of course the material crisis of the 70s stagflation and energy crisis uh no no we need to keep the canal and so people voted on that shit, and people wrote letters, and they sent in money, but the people at the top who n manipulated the Canal Treaty shit didn't care. They understood it was supposed to be red meat for the rubes. Now, 40 years later, the people who care about, who do the equivalent of caring about the Canal, and not like the actual important business of maintaining capitalist exploitation and its machinery and tip-tock... Uh, fashion those people are now in charge and they've squeezed out all the old old hands who are like it's just a it's a pointless vestige it doesn't mean anything now the canal people are in charge and trump is the head canal person like he had that interview with chris uh, wallace today and his his understanding of issues is precisely as at the same level as all of the old people who watch fox news all day that's why they love him and will never not love him because he is them 
And modern politics is about becoming, uh, about being able to identify with the, the person in charge. Not that they do anything, that you identify emotionally with them. And Trump is them. Whenever Chris Wallace would challenge him on one of his assertions, like, where are they teaching us to hate America? He goes, oh, you go, you see the professors, you know, the schools were doing it. We see it every day. Couldn't put a gun to his head. He wouldn't be able to tell you a specific instance. Even, and then that shows you how far things have changed and how fast things have gone off the rails because of the speed of transmission of information. The way that everybody is just, there's just this flow of information that nobody can check realistically. And so you just develop a emotional response that you just channel everything through. They're just like, yes, this is, this, this validates this val this, it's like running things over the, the laser at the fucking uh, grocery store. It's like a thing either gets you mad or it makes you happy because it owns the libs, whether it's true, whether it happened, it means nothing. Uh, and so Trump, like, like Reagan famously always had like this back pocket, uh, filled with just so anecdotes about the evils of the welfare state and about big government. Half of them were completely made up. The other ones were decontextualized and half-truths. But he at least had them. He had a narrative that he actually contained information, even if it was fraudulent. Trump doesn't even bother keeping it. None of these people even bother keeping it. it just, all that's left, all they're left with is the anger. Some story about some college where someone said the flag isn't good, don't remember the context. Don't even remember the incident. Just remember the emotional response I had when I heard that. And that's where they are. They're just pure ganglion response. And they love Trump because he's also pure ganglion response. They love him. We love him, folks. Don't we love him? Don't we love the Trump? Uh, yeah, he's pretty amazing. No, they don't talk about welfare anymore because it's gone. That was what Reagan used to say in the 80s. And then Clinton fulfilled his fucking, uh, his political prophecy. It's just new stuff now. But I'm saying is that there used to be two levels to this shit among Republicans. And now there's only one level. Everyone believes the fucking rube bait. And they take it seriously. That's why all the, all the, all the more uh, data-driven Still ideological, they're ideologues, but they're ideologues for capitalism as closer to as it actually exists as opposed to an, a Norman Rockwell fantasy version of it that they keep in their head so that they can still feel like there's a just redistribution of resources in the world. That fantasy that they have to cling to so that their place on that totem pole is sacralized. They're too focused on that busy box of like nationalism to see shit like the actual forest for the trees. Which is why now we finally turned it into a, a, it's always been the case that, like, that capitalist political parties are arguing over who can be the best stewards, you know, of the, of the capitalist system. Uh, not who will overcome it or overthrow it. That's absurd. That's off the table. Uh, but, that, but what that means has been different and has been contested over time as the coalitions that are dominant within the parties have changed. And now we finally have the dream of the Clinton era DLC. A situation where the uh, mystified small bourgeois, white, the mystified white small bourgeois are culturally alienated enough by their, the, by, by, the, rent, by the, 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 the social signifiers that they cling to uh, 
to become a rump party whose inability to absorb the reality of neoliberalism, their inability to hear what Ned Beatty is telling uh, Howard Beale in the boardroom, the, the, the wax of, of, uh, of ideology, of nationalist ideology, is too st- thick in their ears to hear it. They're off now, they're isolated into one party, and capital, clear-eyed capital, international capital, has, one, has a party all to themselves. And they get to use social liberalism as the unguent to keep the more exploited and still miserable people on board. It's the perfect situation. It's what, it's what the whole uh, democratic right turn on economics was supposed to, it was supposed to do. Eventually, by eliminating economics as a real field of political conflict, because we're at the end state, we're at the point of permanent austerity where we can never turn it around because the profits aren't there to allow it. You'd have to crack open the bones and get at the gooey uh, hemoglobin-producing centers of capitalism, and that's not, on, that's not on, on the table. That's not an option because that's not the people negotiating these things. Uh, if that's the case, then eventually it will break down, all politics will break down into culture war. That's the only thing that'll be left to, to, to argue, and that time is on the side of the of just looking at the arc of history, the way that increased uh, 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 capitalism, increased atomization of capitalism, increases social liberalism because it reduces our commitment to traditional values, because it reduces our contact with the social institutions that reinforce traditional values. So over time, you're going to have a more diverse country thanks to shifts in demographics, and you're going to have uh, a more, li- more, econ- more socially liberal country because people are going to refer to one another individually in a way that makes all the old claims to like social hierarchy seem dated and quaint and, and reactionary and, and un- 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 uninclusive of a people who, of, 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 a, of, a, uh, of a pluralistic society. And if that's the case, you're going to win eventually. I mean, there might be some shocks and some bumps along the way, like Trump winning in 2016, but now they, they've turned that into, I think they've turned that, I mean, that didn't help the Clintons, but it sure as shit helped the party now. They're in the perfect situation. Uh, they're about to, if, if this election goes the way it looks like it would today, you know, if you had, a, had the poll today, and we don't have some sort of breakdown of legitimacy due to coronavirus and write-in ballots, which is a huge, huge if, but if all that goes relatively smoothly, you're going to have a big democratic mandate without any kind of uh, left-wing uh, shape to, uh, uh, um, to the party itself. It will have swallowed the suburban uh, um, upper-middle-class small bourgeois who went to college. Because right now it has the small... The Republican Party now is just the small bourgeois who didn't go to college. That's their main base. Every, I mean, they have other people who vote for them, but that's the, that's the core. And the small bourgeois who went to college were split, but the, the increased uh, Neanderthalic presentation uh, of, uh, of social reactionary views embodied by Trump and his base uh, in the current moment is no longer sustainable if you went through that etiquette, that extended etiquette lesson of college.
And so that's, that's like we're, we, they're taking Nixon's idea of polarizing along cu cultural lines. He was the guy who invented it. And Pearlstein talks about that in Nixonland because the whole idea was create, break the country in two and then you have the bigger half. And at that point, he did. But now the times have changed. There's less of a uh, base for social reaction outside of like white suburbs and white rural areas. Uh, and so there's less... The backlash is less powerful. I mean, Trump won mainly because Hillary Clinton managed to completely demobilize Democratic voters. And because Trump was a, was, a, was a question mark, and he was something new. And now all, a lot of those people have changed their tune on it, at least according to the current models. Who knows what will happen in the future. So now we finally have the break, the, 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 the final, like in, in the twilight of America, the... the the partisan battle is finally between the competent administrators of capitalism and the mystified, overly ideological, uh, uh, snake oil drinking, incompetent managers of capitalism. That's it. That's the. That's the. That's what we. That is explicitly now what we're arguing about. Whereas used to, it used to be that that whole question of competent administration of empire was sort of uh, sublimated. Now, it's the actual content of the two political parties, as expressed by their leaders. Like, uh, Biden has made it clear that he will not be governing under any kind of expectation of significant change. Even since, even he's, he's done the olive branch to Bernie and he's talking about being more radical now because things are so terrible, but uh, I mean, we know who runs that White House. We know who is in charge of that party right now, or who would be in charge of the White House. There's simply no structural incentive to push them to do anything other than 2008 all over again, re reconstituting the, the, uh, the um, economy on the back of the most vulnerable people. But they will have, uh, to their benefit, an absolutely insane Republican Party. Like, if, tr if Biden wins and he's able to take office, especially if, like, there's write-in ballots in a bunch of states that get authorized by a court, there's going to be a massive crisis of legitimacy from day one. And that's going to keep all the sheep in line. They're going to keep all the sheep in line with just the fear of the slathering hordes waiting to retake power. And it'll be scary. I mean, Brian Kemp is probably going to try to fucking secede or something. But, like, if there's a silver lining there, it'll just be that I think the, uh, that there will be absolutely, among the left, you know, such as it is, among people with leftist sentiments, I think that there will be, uh, there will be much less of that Obama-era uh, stardust in the air to, to keep people from immediately denouncing the administration. Uh, and he was basically able to string that out for almost eight years, uh, even while he was doing the worst shit on earth. And I don't think Biden has that, obviously. I mean, after this primary, and considering who he is as a candidate, uh, and even the fact that Obama himself... You know, a lot of people remember him as a uh, now as a fucking snake oil salesman himself, which he certainly was.
Uh, is anybody can I, is anybody alive around a, a is anybody watching in a uh, time zone that's got uh, where it's dark? Can anybody check on the moon to make sure it's okay? I want to make sure that it's not yet uh, falling out of the sky. That it's not dead yet. Apparently, the Scandinavian moon is still doing okay. So maybe maybe it can shake off this uh, this curse. I seem down. I'm, I guess I'm a little, uh, I'm mellow, but I don't think I'm depressed or anything. I feel pretty good. I'm just uh, less animated than sometimes. I'm vibing, as always, though. As always vibing. Forever vibing. That'd be good. That could be a sequel to the Vasily Grossman book, Forever Flowing. Forever vibing. Deer. Oh, dear. That's a large boy. There's a large boy just showed up. Vibing towards Bethlehem to be worn. What is your favorite Michael Bay movie? I'd say that his most interesting movie and uh, is obviously Pain and Gain, which I think is a really, really interesting film. I don't think it's good because he is... Uh, I mean, he's trying to do something that's beyond his abilities. He's trying to evoke, uh, like, artistic... Not, I wouldn't say ability... I, he's a very talented director, but his skill set, I'd say. He can evoke certain things masterfully. Uh, but but uh, commentary, intentional commentary, uh, not really his for, for, uh, forte. I think I always think of Pain and Gain as a Coen Brothers movie that is directed by a Coen Brothers character. If one of their own people could make a Coen Brothers movie, it would be Pain and Gain, which is a very interesting thing. So I like I like it for that. I should rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, one of the one, uh, uh, Wahlberg is not a very good actor, but it's one of his good performances because he's perfectly cast as a meathead. There's a scene where he finds out that in order to, uh, for a bank to honor uh, the document that he forced this guy who he kidnapped to sign, that he needed to be notarized. And he was completely, he's completely baffled by the concept of a notary. And he gets kind of mad. He goes, what the fuck is a notary? It's very good. Uh... But of his spectacles, of his big, big movies, like the ones that are uh, feasts of carnage and mayhem. Uh, ah, let me think. Bad Boys 2 gets talked about because it is so just horrifyingly over the top and grotesque in a way that he often only hints at with the corpses bouncing out of the back of the morgue truck getting splattered by cars. The Rock's very good, too. Armageddon, 
it's the Criterion Collection for a reason, you know? It's just so, so much. That movie is so much. I have to say, even though I've seen every Transformers movie multiple times, and I think that they're interesting in their own way, uh, it, I always kind of felt like that's a waste of his talents, because he's great at action mayhem, but so much of Transformers is CGI nonsense. I mean, the movies he made his bones with had a lot of practical effects that were really awesome. Like the, char the car chase in San Francisco when he, uh, Connery takes a fucking uh, a Humvee and derails a cable car. Tremendous. In short, it's, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite. It, it depends on the mood. I will say that I was very disheartened to see that his last movie went to Netflix because Michael Bay, more certainly than fucking Christopher Nolan, in my mind, is, the, is a director who embodies the theatrical experience. Big soda, big drink, big movie. Pound your brain into fucking paste. And that that shit was premiered on Netflix, it's, it's like... I get it when Scorsese has go, goes on Netflix to do a three-and-a-half-hour movie with digitally-aged mobsters, and it's all about regret and sadness and, and failure. I, that's not gonna, that probably wouldn't have wowed him on the big screen in a, in, a, in a huge release. But my God, if Michael Bay can't get a fucking movie with that kind of dumbass high concept, what if a billionaire faked his own death and became an operator to, to overthrow Assad? Just the fact that it wasn't fighting robots, I guess, kept it off the silver screen. That's why I was. Really, that's why I really do think that COVID might be the end of the theatrical film experience because it seemed like it was already on its last legs, and now just pushing the fucking coke machine over. So it's too bad. <coughs> I, I didn't really like. Uh, Six Underground, it was too quippy because it, it was written by the Deadpool guys. And so that's not really his register. Bay humor is not Whedon-esque soy banter. It's people's getting hit directly in the dick or a, robot, a tiny robot pretending to hump something or someone farting. That, that it's, it's baby brain. It's not fake, sophisticated badinage. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, what, what, what I think you might end up seeing films exist on the margins. I think, like, big movies coming out every week and everybody going to see them. I think that might be over. I think those movies are now going to go to streaming services. Uh, but I think you will still have a, a, a skeleton film industry. I think you might see drive-ins make a comeback. Uh, but you'll definitely see, I think, either, like, boutique movie experiences, like a small, small few p 
people, somebody said like running out a karaoke room, something like that with like food service, like an even more boutique al- Alamo for uh, old movies, you know, for revivals or something. And then maybe once or twice a year, there'd be something that would get on like IMAXs. Maybe Christopher Nolan would just make an IMAX movie every year. Uh, but we'll see. Who knows? I mean, people get stubborn, and uh, I don't. And and there might be a desire to go back to the movies if it's possible, just to assert our love of the before time, and our refusal to accept that that uh, there really might have been a cultural and economic. BCAD moment here with this fucking virus and that things might be different in a way that's qualitatively significant enough to no longer be the same thing. Before we enter the cool zone, exactly. And I will be bummed by that because I love going to the movies. I think it's fun. Of course, I've seen Mac and me. Come on. But I would like somebody to ask Newt Gingrich what he thinks about the Panama Canal. Because these motherfuckers are still around. I would really love him to explain, like, when did you realize it wasn't a big deal that we lost the Panama Canal? And when you found that out, did it make you reflect on anything at all? Oh, no, because you're a cynical fucking cumwad. Now I, now I remember now. Never mind. I do wonder how many people cut their teeth getting mad about the Panama Canal now are 100% convinced that the cast of Friends are all cannibal pedophiles. Because that's a hell of a trajectory. You guys ever wonder how more, much more advanced we'd be culturally and socially and civilizationally if we had embraced Crystal Pepsi? Because Crystal Pepsi was mind-blowing. Crystal Pepsi told you, hey, you know that perception you had your whole life? You know how you always thought that cola was brown? That's the color of cola. What if I told you it didn't have to be? Here, it, drink this. I don't understand. This looks like a Sprite of some kind. Some sort of lemon-lime beverage. No, it tastes like a damn Pepsi. If Pepsi is if, if if Pepsi is not brown, then what is it? What is anything? Maybe we would have been more open-minded as 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 the end of history turned into the charnel house of the 21st century. Maybe we would have been able to think outside the box. Maybe after 9-11 we could have thought, hey, if Pepsi isn't necessarily clear, then this terrorist attack is not necessarily the beginning of some civilizational war, unless we make it. Let's not do that. I have no proof of this. I just wonder sometimes. Although apparently the failure of Crystal Pepsi was partially due to uh, rat-fucking by Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, after Crystal Pepsi set the world on fire with its mind-blowing commercial debut after the Super Bowl, uh, using 
Van Halen's Right Now as its theme song. Immediately after that, Coke came out with their own crystal version of, of Coke. Only it was Diet Tab, but they said Crystal Coke. And so it tasted like crap. It tasted bad. It wasn't, it was, it was a diet beverage. And one, not even like their good diet beverage, their crummier diet beverage. And so because Coke is so hegemonic, and because people don't really differentiate that finely, somebody has a bad tasting uh, Crystal Cola, and now they don't like Crystal Cola. Fucking Coca-Cola company. Kept our brains in the box. Kept us part of the mind control, part of the MK Ultra mind control, making sure that consciousness-expanding concepts like Crystal Pepsi aren't allowed into the marketplace. Uh, no, I don't think that would have happened, but it's funny to think about. I mean, and that goes to show that there's, I honestly think there's something to the old argument that Coca-Cola made new Coke on purpose, made it bad on purpose, and made a backlash on purpose, so that when they brought it back and said, this is the old Coke, not only would people all want to drink it out of gratitude to have it be back, they wouldn't notice that in the interim they switched out the fucking uh, sugar for high fructose corn syrup. Diabolical. Diabolical. Between all that and uh, hiring death squads to kill union organizers, pretty much a bad company. Have I read Detroit? I do mind dying. Yes, I have. Drum, baby. Detroit Revolutionary Union Movement. There's a good documentary about that, too. Finally got the news about the radical uh, black uh, anti-capitalist union movement in Detroit in the late 60s, early 70s. Very interesting stuff. I mean, who is it? But who are you gonna? Who do you, who, who wins in the battle of evil uh, soda companies? You got Coca Cola, which of course has its record of bloodshed, and then you've got Pepsi, which I think is does a lot of nefarious shit, especially exploiting and like privatizing water sources in the developing world. But Fanta literally is the Nazi uh, beverage. It's the Nazi soft drink. Pepsi, uh, in the 50s, Pepsi made a deal with Richard Nixon before he went to Moscow to see the World Exhibition there where he had the kitchen debate with Khrushchev. The Pepsi Corporation made a deal with him where they, he was able to arrange a picture of Khrushchev with a, co with a Pepsi in his hand that uh, if he needed it at any point, Nixon could, would be able to get on the board. And after he lost the... Uh, Either the presidency or I think the California governor's race in 62, 
he became he went on the board uh, of Pepsi as payback for getting photographs of Khrushchev drinking Pepsi. And I never got that because it's like he was the bad guy. Shouldn't he have been? Shouldn't they have wanted him to be drinking a Coke? You're like, look, this communist motherfucker drinks Coke. But I guess, I guess Pepsi's like the upstart, and they think that that's irony or something. I don't know. And also, Pepsi bankrolled partially the production of the great William Peter Blatty film, The Ninth Configuration, because they had made a bunch of money in West Germany, but they couldn't have it leave the country without a heavy tax rate, so they funded this movie as a tax dodge, basically the same way that Uwe Boll movies got made for a while there, because of loopholes in the German tax law related to money invested in films. There's one scene in the Ninth Configuration where they show somebody getting a Pepsi out of a vending machine in the insane asylum that's the, the film set in, the Ar- Army, uh, Army Mental Hospital. It's a very good movie, and I don't think Coke would have ever done that. So, advantage Pepsi on that one. A Coke was in Dr. Strangelove, and that's the one where they blew up the world. That's not good. You're going to have to answer to me in the Coca-Cola company. More likely GOP nominee in 2024, Haley or Hawley. Okay. Stipulation up front. No idea what anything's going to look like by that. I would argue there's a good chance that the front runner in 2024 will be whoever emerges as like the, uh, the John C. Calhoun of the neo-nullification uh, movement. And that's most likely to be a governor of a large red state. But not necessarily. Um, but if it's not that, it's going to be some carnival barker or Trump hanger on. It's not going to be some nerd like Josh Hawley. It's not going to be some fucking wet blanket like Nikki Haley. They like the red meat. The idea that what they're looking for is some sort of perfect ideological synthesis, those are leftists who think that way. Because that's what they've been dreaming of. The perfect secret sauce of, that combines political power with ideology, with party building, uh, with mobilization. Just the secret sauce of everything. And so they imagine that that's what everybody's seeking. Republican voters want someone to ring the dinner bell so they can f- fucking s- uh, salivate like Pavlov's dog. And the argument that, oh, like a guy like Hawley would be able to do some sort of, you know, Heron Volk uh, democracy where he promises all this social democracy for the, uh, for, for the in-group. Where's the money for that coming from? We're at the terminal decline phase. Anybody who wants to promise that is going to have to do it from outside the system. Because a guy like Hawley is too dependent on the media and on the party to be even known by anybody. And so he can't piss them off. Trump was able to be a free agent because he was rich, but more importantly, he was famous. If anybody is going to challenge that heterodox economic pop, uh, uh, create a heterodox economic populist model that will actually be different enough to get people's attention and do the thing that a lot of people are kind of 
fearing or dreaming is going to happen and create some sort of new right populism with an economic baseline. It would have to be from outside this, the party. It, would, it could not be some loser fucking senator who's got to go around the rubber chicken circuit to get enough money to get people to get his name recognition above 5%. It's going to be somebody who comes in out on the outside. That's why I'd say I'd put the MyPillow guy ahead of any of these people. I'd say Donald Trump Jr., but I have a feeling that his dad would like to own him, not endorse him. I think like a guy like Dan Crenshaw, like the media cares about him. He's a fucking epic meme congressman, but he, I don't think anybody on the ground gives a shit about who that fucking dork is. Like these guys are all shadow boxing. They're all trying to be something that the media wants them to be. And they never, they haven't reckoned with the fact that Trump was able to win by directly inher- defying all of the dictates of the parties and the media in how you run for office. And no elected official will be able to grab that magic. So I don't, that's why I discount anybody who is in office right now. My pillow guy, Don Jr., uh, depending on how, like, uh, how much this, like, kidnapping people pops off, maybe Chad Wolf. One way or another, it's going to have to be somebody who gets Trump's approval because one bad tweet about them and it's over which is another reason I don't buy Carlson because Carlson is on the record as saying Trump is out to lunch and is not smart and doesn't know what he's doing and can't deliver on any of the promises of his presidency. He he said that in an interview. If If Trump ever finds out about that, he'll just in one tweet destroy him. I mean, maybe they decide to go back to normal politics, but that seems weird. I mean, the reason people have embraced this, this tribal lunacy over uh, any kind of principle or ideology is because things have gotten weirder and worse. They're only going to be weirder and worse in four years. I just don't see the mechanism that's supposed to... Maybe being out of power is supposed to snap them out of it. I don't know. Didn't really work. That, that's not really what happened with Obama. As I say, I'll I'll come back to this. I have no idea because I could not predict what the conditions are going to look like four years from now. I can't say what they're going to be four months from now, for God's sake. And I don't trust anyone who says they do. Elon Musk has no political base. His base is like epic meme people. They're all Democrats, mostly. People are afraid of Trump not leaving, but I, I will say that if the courts, if there is some sort of challenge to the, constitu- uh, to the election, challenge to the legitimacy of the election, which I'm sure there will be, if it's decided in favor of Biden, Trump will go because one of the beautiful generals will tell him it's time to go. And at the end of the day, Trump is a coward. Do you know the kind of bravery it would take to say, hey, I'm just, even just like delusional, uh, uh, like Musk-like frenzy of, of, to say, fuck it, let's be legends, let's tear up the Constitution so I can stay, be president, even though he hates being president. Um, 
he doesn't have the character for it. That's the thing about Trump is that he has only negative traits. He has no positive traits. And that means that he doesn't have the, the, the basic uh, um, bravery to withstand uh, disappointment that plenty of evil people in history have possessed in spades. He doesn't have it. He's a coward. And the idea of the beautiful generals turning against him is too much. And so he would make up something in his head to justify how he didn't actually leave, and then he'd leave. And then he would just recreate... Because that's the thing. The reason Trump's able to keep on trucking is that he instantly redefines everything that happens to him to make it look, make himself look good, to make him look like a genius because of his insane, mind-shattering insecurity. He is literally incapable of, of sitting with failure, incompetence, sadness, uh, any kind of negative feeling, and certainly any negative feeling about himself. And so I just don't think that he's got the sand to, what, try to, like, call some other generals? Because I think the thing with the Lafayette Square shows that there isn't the commitment there to him personally to back him, and Biden isn't a threat. In fact, a lot of them have probably figured that Biden is the uh, solution, that Biden will calm things down and make things run more functionally. But there could be fraudulent challenging of Democratic ballots that then are, uh, and those challenges could be affirmed by the Trump court that got packed over the last four years. And then if the final word of the court is, like it was in 2000, oh yeah, Trump won, even though maybe he lost by 5 million votes in the, in the popular total and, uh, you know, was losing in enough states to lose the Electoral College until they declared the, like, the votes fraudulent or something and, like, threw it to the, to the House of Representatives to have them vote by state, which means that even though the House is now pretty heavily Democratic, uh, the Republicans would vote for Trump. If that happened, then the military is not going to stop that from happening because it's official. It has the official imperture of, of the rule book, which the absolute chowder-headed mediocrities uh, of the U.S. Uh, Joint Chiefs, that's what they care about. Yeah, yeah, they're all right-wingers, but they're also, at the end of the day, unimaginative. They take the stupid Constitution sit seriously. And... I just don't think they see... I mean, these guys, all around, these guys all were around under Obama, too, you know? There are a few Michael Flynn types, but what happened to Michael Flynn? He was, like, isolated and, and neutralized over the course of his career because he was a nutcase. He couldn't fucking function. And there might be some, like... And if there are reptile, lizard-type right-wingers at the top of the military, they also uh, know the way the wind is blowing, and they know that it wouldn't be worth the domestic turmoil of suppressing, uh, uh, of suspending uh, constitutional government because, as Colin Powell says, you break it, you bought it. And now you're responsible for this thing that you have no training for and no preparation for controlling. 
And most importantly, there's a perfectly good political party made up of people who are, by the very mass majority, totally, co uh, totally beholden to the exact same power structure that you are and are a part of. Why would you fucking rock the boat on behalf of Trump, who they all know is an incompetent dumbass? I don't care how fucking uh, mystified by ideology you are. If you spend like presence, time in the presence of Donald Trump, you're not going to have any fucking be able to sustain many illusions about his competence. And that's one thing when he is the he is the he is in power through you know the connivance of of, of uh, the press and the people to 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 deem him the legitimate president which takes a lot of pressure off of you as the military to uh, you know, maintain, uh, maintain authority because it's not popularly represented or it's not popularly uh, uh, recognized. You go from that to having a government that has lost its popular legitimacy overnight to a huge percentage of the population. That's a headache. It's a huge headache. But as I said, if the Republicans are able to like maneuver through the courts that they have spent the last four years packing, a spurious challenge to uh, electoral votes for Biden, and it's affirmed, what is anyone going to do about it? That will be the ultimate calling of the bluff, and I think that for the most part, there will be protests for sure. There will be confrontations and violence for sure. But uh, it will... It will tucker out. That's the bet they're going to make, is that it'll tucker out. That the, the momentum will dissipate, and then people will have accepted the new reality. To some degree, to some psychic degree, they will now be operating in the, under the assumption that this new order is in some way legitimate because they're sustaining it by their acquiescence. I mean, there might be an insurgency, but uh, I don't know how sustainable it would be. And that's the other thing. Like, as illegitimate as it would be, you'd have to be having people go to the streets to risk death and dismemberment on behalf of Joe Biden. You, who, you, anybody want to lose an eye for Joe fucking Biden? Anybody want to, like, get lose weeks of their life and get Corona in a fucking dungeon to seat the man who doesn't even know what year it is, who thinks he's running in 1988, and that he really needs to catch up to Dukakis. It would be funny, though, to see maybe, like... Because obviously the Democratic establishment, like I'm, the other thing is, is not only would you have nobody want to die for Biden, Biden wouldn't be asking you to die for him. He would accept the outcome. He, like, like Gore did. He'd, he'd say, well, I disagree strongly with the court's reasoning in this case. I respect their constitutional role as arbiter of these disputes and hope that we can move forward and help make, uh, help make the American middle class strong again or whatever fucking bullshit. So how the hell are you supposed to organize in the face of a party that won't even stand up for itself? It would be funny, though, if there were a few 
true believer diehards who just snapped. Like Nira Tandon leads a gorilla foco in the hills of northern Virginia. That'd be pretty funny. Nira Tandon has uh, ambushed another police, uh, <clears throat> another police uh, caravan, killing 16 officers. Near Tandon spiked the water supply of the District of Columbia with Xanax. I don't think Barack Obama could be Biden's vice president. Because I think... I mean, the, the point of a VP is to assume the offices of the presidency. Uh, and I don't think that a two-term president can legally assume the offices of the presidency. So, yeah, you can't, he couldn't be VP. He could be in the cabinet because they just skip him in the succession. But he couldn't be VP because that's the whole point of the VP. So the O'Bungler could be like Secretary of State or something, for sure. Like Madeleine Albright wasn't eligible to be president because she wasn't born in the United States, but they just skipped her in the line of succession. Kissinger, too, of course, when he was Secretary of State. And Zbigniew Brzezinski. Or no, he was NSA. Was not a, Michelle Obama would be the, the slam dunk. Michelle Obama is the VP and the thing is over, uh, which really must tell you, at least it tells me, that she does not want to be VP. That she doesn't like politics. Like you, That has always been the rumor that she kind of hated it and wanted to get out of there. And certainly the way he has behaved, Obama's behaved sense would suggest that's true, only working behind the scenes, limiting his public comments and exposure. And of course, there's the fact that if she'd run this time, she probably would have gotten the nomination relatively easily. And now here's a chance to get it without even running. To get, I mean, she would be the next president almost for sure. Because, I mean, at some point, uh, Biden's going to conk out. Very likely in his first term. Actuarially, in his first term. She must just not want it. She just hates D.C. And I, I think after, we, after uh, Trump tore up the vegetable garden, she was like, fuck this. You fucking assholes won't even let me make your stupid kids less fat. And of course, that's all, you know. That's a perfect... That, her, her choice of that as her pet project is... VP was so perfect. Such a perfect example of, uh, of just that neoliberal self-help mindset it's like yeah it's uh people kids aren't fat because of food deserts and and wildly anti unhealthy uh agricultural subsidies that that have a horrifyingly distorting effect on our diet and like what we consume and like the 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 uh the shrinking of people's free time uh and the almost impossible lure of fast food as to fill a gap and processed food, if not fast food. 
No, no, it's you're not you're not, uh, you're not doing enough sit-ups with your kids, and you don't have a fucking vegetable garden in your backyard. Oh, that's interesting. Trump couldn't run again if he was convicted of a felony. And would Biden allow that to happen? Oh, I got to assume that there will... I, honestly, because there won't be any, like... Because he was acquitted in the... the mis, he was acquitted in the impeachment. There is no... I don't think there's any pr criminal prosecutions currently going into Trump. All of the, all of the things re re revolving around his tax returns and uh, like lawsuits and stuff and, and the attempt to get transparency about his business dealings and stuff like the, uh, the Scottish golf course where they kept sending the, uh, the Air Force. So just the, the chintziest shit. I, I think all those investigations are in the houses, are in the, are in the house, and those are presumably all just going to end after he gets out of office. So presuming he loses... That's the end of the congressional investigations. There's no current... There would have to be an initiation of an investigation. And I just don't think they'll allow that to happen. I don't think the Democrats... The Democrats would be so terrified of uh, Trump prosecution energizing his supporters and riling them up that I think that he won't have to give them a, a, a pardon because there will be no prosecution to, uh, to deal with. And I think the most Democrats, even the ones who hate him with a passion, will gladly follow along because they're just going to be so damn happy to be in charge again. And they're going to listen to whatever bullshit the party tells them about the need to move on, like we did with Bush. And then sure enough, what happens is the ratchet only goes one way, and the next one who gets in after Biden fucks the dog and Grover Cleveland's the shit out of this one, it'll be some monster. It'll be my pillow guy. A my pillow filled with uh, Goya beans on every front door in America. Oh, thank you. Someone says they're enjoying hanging out. I enjoy them as well. Uh, just a few more minutes here if anybody has any more questions. Oh, I just want to also put this out here that we might be expanding the format for these in the near future. Uh, we might turn this into like a daily like drive time chunk. I'm wondering if anyone would be interested in that. If that sounds like something people would want to watch. And we would maybe involve more video, some actual gaming, too. I would want to play some of those map-based strategy games. Those always seem like fun, but I can't handle all the little boxes and the clicks. It's too complicated. I can't keep it all straight.
It would not be mostly gaming, though. The gaming would be, like, limited. Because I do not want to become a streaming gamer. That is, uh, that is, I, but I think I can avoid that. I always wanted to see if you could ever, like, uh, if you could ever, with, with, like, the, uh, history ones, I've always wanted to see if it's possible, even in the game, in a game, to, uh, like, do what Charles V tried to do and have Habsburg hegemony over Europe in the early modern period. Or if the Ottomans could have conquered all of the continent. I don't think either one of them could have been technically possible, but... It would be fun to try to see if you could get the game to let you do it. No, that is true. The Ottomans never really wanted Europe. They were much more interested in, in the, uh, conquering uh, as much of Persia as they could from the Sassanids. But, and they were, yeah, they, Europe was really about trade, the, the water routes. But, I mean, Mehmed wanted Italy back. He wanted to take Rome. So there was, there's some symbolic drive. Also, I'd like to see if I could pull off, and I know this is a later period, but I always felt like Napoleon really could have, he could have pulled something off there. I mean, it wasn't going to last forever, but he certainly had a game plan for trying to maintain like a powerful hegemony there in, uh, in Western Europe by planting like local uh monarchies that to butt off of his like his family line and his he was essentially reseeding the aristocracy of western europe and that could have lasted i mean my god the uh the current uh royal house of sweden is descended from one of napoleon's marshals who was invited to take the throne You don't invade Russia, though, dude. Why are you invading Russia, dog? Dog, I warned you, bro. Don't invade Russia. But I do think that, like, the more sustained that the Napoleonic, you know, era had been, the more time that uh, the desurfing had been allowed to occur. I think it could have been, it would probably have hastened progressiveness, you know, it would have hastened progressive forces in Europe, but it also would have hastened the arrival of the contradictions that led to the 20th century being one of the bloodiest charnel houses in human history. So everything is double-edged.
That's why it's so dangerous to open Pandora's box. And that's why anyone who seeks to change the world around them is taking a huge responsibility because there's a limited amount you can never know what you're going to do and there's going to be bad consequences of all change. There's no such thing as a purely positive, uh, uh, a purely positive shift with any kind of significance. The, uh, the thing about the British is, is that he, he, I think there could have been some sort of viable, at least medium term, uh, stalemate with the British. But I don't think he could ever let that go. I mean, he was a man of war. And, he, and the idea of, of uh, having an undefeated enemy, I think, was too much for him. But I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, it's a, pretty, uh, it's a pretty wild thing for anybody to try to do, conquer all of Europe. Only a few have tried. None have succeeded. Because its institutions and geography don't let it take. It doesn't take. Yes, I do have Napoleon on the brain, though, because I've been listening, as I have for years, to uh, Age of Napoleon, one of the best history podcasts. Uh, really, really good. You get a really good history, first of the French Revolution and co the continental European diplomatic system and military tactics, and life of Nelson. He's, he's got, he understands the fractal nature of history and that Things all like, like you're talking about Napoleon. You're talking about a bunch of other things, and he's always very uh, good about contextualizing all of the all the narrative. But it's good. Should have allied with Louvatour, not attacked Haiti. I, he said that was his, one of his biggest mistakes when he was in exile, and yeah, that was a huge blunder. I've talked about it on here before. He could have turned the Caribbean into a fucking French lake there before the Louisiana Purchase which would have uh, countervailed uh, uh, naval, uh, or, um, British naval supremacy. Ah. I think the way to go is just, if you uh, haven't started it, just listen from the beginning. They're all good, and they all build on one another. All right. I'm gonna go. Bye bye. R.I.P. The moon. We love you. We love you, moon. Bye bye. Good night, moon.